Good morning. Wow. I don't think I yelled, but if I did, I'm sorry. Man, um, Ben, my turn it down. I might get a little loud today. Um, golly. You know, um, and I'll let you know, I may not use those slides today. I think the Lord's doing something different this morning. Um, you know, we've been in this study for a little over half a year. And, and the goal of this study is to know Christ and to make him known. I put it on the bottom of the title slide every, every week. Because I want us to understand the, the purpose that God has for us in studying the book of Luke is not just to gain more knowledge. Now, I, I'll be the first to admit, I nerd out on all the little idiosyncrasies of, of Scripture. Like today I had written, I'm, I was going to explain the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and their, their role in, in, in Jewish culture and, and in their religion. Um, but that stuff is secondary. It's so secondary to what we experienced this morning. There's another story in the excitement that I forgot to share. Um, a few months ago, I was, I know it was a month ago, I was meeting with Sinai Interfaith uh, Leadership Council uh, and a good friend of mine, Res, uh, Joseph uh, Martin, is a pastor out in Boyce, oh, excuse me, out in um, past Englewood. I can't think of that area's name right now. We're in the meeting and I said something about Saley going to LSMSA and he said, oh man, I've got a young lady that was one of my students. He was the ROTC teacher, you know him. David, he's the ROC teacher at Ash. Colonel Martin, he's a pastor. And uh, this young lady's name is Ava. And he said, Ava is going next year. And she's really excited, but she doesn't know anybody. I'd love for you to introduce Saley to her. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. So in the middle of this meeting, I just texted Saley, Ava Livingston, I think is her last name. And no other explanation, <laughs> which she's like, what? And so I got home and I, I shared the story with her. Well, yesterday, we had a meet and greet for the students in central Louisiana that are going to LSMSA. Bethany was busy with some cheerleading stuff. Uh, and so she didn't get to go. So I went with Saley. And this mom comes in and she says, hi, my name is, I, I don't remember, uh, I apologize on her behalf or to her publicly, but um, she said, I've got a daughter who's going this year, but she wasn't able to be here. Um, and she said, you know, we were talking with Miss Langford, one of the teachers at LSMSA, and my daughter's interested in being an archivist. And she said, there's only one other student at LSMSA that's interested in that. I said, hold on just a minute. Saley, come here. <laughs> the other student is Saley. And so I introduced Saley and they get to talking and, and Saley says, what's your daughter's name? And she says, Ava Livingston. And I didn't even make the connection. And Saley was like, dad. I was like, what? She's like, that's the girl's name you texted me. And the mom's like, wait, what? And I said, okay, I got to, I, I had to think for a minute. I said, I got to make the connection. Um, how did I, how did I hear her name? And then, and then the Lord brought all the names. And I said, Reverend Joseph Martin. And she's like, I don't know who that is. I said, oh, I'm sorry, Colonel Martin. She's like, oh, the ROTC coach. And I said, yes. I said, he's a pastor. He and I are part of an organization together. He was telling me about Ava. I texted it to Saley so that she could try to meet Ava. I mean, the Lord made all those connections. We spent, I don't know, an hour talking about, about all of that. I share that story this morning because that is not a coincidence. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. The stuff that happened Thursday night with, with Lizzie and, and, and her coworkers and, and what happened between Ben and I and praying for specifically for the thing that God was doing in that moment it is not a coincidence. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. This stuff, oh my gosh, all the stuff that's going on in Debbie's life, none of that is an, a coincidence. It's not an accident. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Church, this is what we're to make known. To know Christ is to know this life. When we talk about abiding, it's not just a cycle that we're supposed to do because we're supposed to do it. it. This is what it means to know Jesus. 
We are studying the book of Luke to see how Jesus made himself known, to see how the disciples made him known. You know why? So that we can make him known. So that these things that we experience, this excitement, this joy that when we're going through difficult times, I cannot imagine what it's like to be in Debbie's shoes. I have a small inkling because Bethany's grandparents both died of Alzheimer's. So I have a, a taste of what that pain is, but not for it to be my parents. And to be in that darkness and for God to say, oh, you want connections? I got connections. That's what it means to know him and to make him known. Today, we're going to read the scripture that God has for us, the, the stuff that I study, but we're not going to go the direction that I thought we were going to go because I feel like we need to just press in on this for just a moment. Saley is going to come up and read for us. Um, Saley, go ahead and let's do that now. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, um, verses 17 through 26. So we're going to read that, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to go a little different direction than I had originally planned, but Saley, if you would go ahead and read for us this morning. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the stick of on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew that what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. Amen. Thank you, Sally. Wonderful job. So Luke starts us off this morning with a little background information. Jesus is doing the thing that we've been seeing him do over and over. He's teaching, and people have gathered to hear his teaching. What's different about today's story, I mentioned last week, that this is where we're going to start seeing some confrontation, right? So Jesus is teaching. What's different this time is that the Pharisees and the religious leaders have showed up. The Pharisees, this is important for you to understand. The Pharisees' view of their Jewish religion was to keep the law and to keep it perfectly to do the things that you're supposed to do. That was their understanding of what it meant to be in a right relationship with God. We're going to see that tension build between Jesus and the Pharisees. Sadducees, very similar. They just didn't believe in resurrection or the oral traditions. Um, and then the Essenes, which were like kind of modern-day monks, um, if you want to think of it in that way. They went out into the desert to try to live the perfect life out there. So Jesus is here. People have gathered. We talked about a couple of weeks about when Scripture says that people pushed in to Jesus, that that literally meant that they are pressing in him. That's why he got in the boat whenever uh, he called Peter and Andrew and James and John. So Jesus is in this building. We don't know if it's a house. I, I always heard or thought of it in terms of someone's house. Could have been in the synagogue. We don't know. Probably a synagogue since it says tile roof. So he's here. The crowds have pressed in. And these men have a friend who's paralyzed. These men carry him from wherever they went. We know that Jesus has been teaching all in that region. Luke doesn't tell us exactly where this has happened, but they've traveled. They get to the house, 
and the people that are there, or the, the building, whatever it is, forgive me if I just keep saying house, they're crammed in because they want to hear Jesus. And people know that Jesus has been healing. And these, these friends show up with this paralyzed man. Some, some places it's translated as mat, some it's a stretcher. And they try to get in the house and people won't let them in. And so what do they do? They got to get their friend to Jesus. So they tear a hole in the roof. I want you to think about that for a moment. Imagine we're sitting here on a Sunday morning having worship service and someone tears a hole in our roof. Is that not going to be a bit distracting? Is that not a bit disruptive to what's going on in the room? That would have totally ruined Debbie's testimony if somebody starts tearing a hole in the roof, right? But they tear a hole in the roof and they lower their friend down. And Jesus, by the way, is aware of what's happening, right? It's not like he's deaf and he can't hear or see the tiles being ripped off the roof in this house. So they lower him down. Jesus sees the people. He sees the man. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. I heard a commentator say this week that anytime Jesus addresses what someone's thinking, it's never good. I never thought about that before. But he, he, he feels, or I don't know how it works, <laughs> not Jesus. He understands what they're thinking, and he addresses it. And he says, what's easier, to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to tell him to pick up his mat and walk? And so to know that I have all authority from God, I'm going to heal this man, and he does. And it says immediately he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out. Interesting that he walked out since there was too many people for him to get in, right? The crowds parted because they were amazed. What I think God wants us to see this morning, what I think he wants me to focus in on, we may come back to that other stuff that I prepared this week, next week, is that if we're going to make Christ known, sometimes we have to be willing to be disruptive. Sometimes we've got to be willing to tear a hole in the roof of someone's house so that people can know Jesus. To know him and to make him known. You know, something happened in these men's lives to get them to the point, I don't know if desperation is the right word, but certainly they were tenacious. I wrote in my, in my notes that he was, they were obstinately persistent. Nothing would deter them from the goal that they had, which was to have their friend healed. And it makes me think, it makes me wonder about my own my own faith. It makes me think about when God, when I know he's told me to do a thing, and there's something in the way, something stopping that from happening. You know, I was thinking about it this way this week. The people that were there, we don't know a whole lot of context about why they're pressed in the way they are. We don't know what they're thinking. We don't know what they believe about Jesus, but we know that they're there. And we also know that they know that he has been healing people. And we know that at least some on the fringe would have seen this paralyzed man and known that the person that they are pressing in towards could heal this man. Maybe they're there for a healing themselves. We, we just don't know. Luke doesn't give us those details. But the point that I feel like God wants us to see in this is that there were people that were keeping this man who needed healing from getting to Jesus. And I often wonder if the church is the people 
getting in the way of Jesus bringing healing. I often wonder if I am the person in the church that's in the way keeping people from getting to Jesus to receive the healing. So they see the man, they see that he needs to be healed, they stay in the way. And so the friends, because they're tenacious, because they won't give up, the obvious route was obstructed, so they made their own way. They pressed in, they did something disruptive. You know, when I think about the stories that were told this morning, not all of that was was disrupted. But I know that for several months we have been praying fervently for Miss Debbie, for the things that she's asked for, for the connections that she needs. And, it, and it, Debbie, don't feel bad that you're shocked. I'm always shocked because God does what we can't even imagine Him doing. <laughs> for you to run in to a woman that I've known my whole life in Florida whose daughter, which I'm, Brittany had twins originally, her first set, I don't know how many she has now, um, but it just, it's mind-boggling. Who would guess that? God is tenacious too. In our lives, there are places where there's hurt. Lizzie and I shared testimony this morning about a man in our lives that is going through some obvious hurt that there are some things going on that we, we don't know, we can't identify, but I can tell you he's not the same kind of man that I knew formerly. And so we're going to pray for him. We're going to be tenacious that God will do whatever it takes in his life to, to renew his sense of, of who he is in God's eyes and for him to understand how God sees him. So I guess really the two questions that I want us to think about this morning is, are we the people that are in the way or are we the people that are willing to be disruptive? I want to tell you a story this morning. I had planned to do this about a friend of mine. Um, and disruptive is not a good word to use for him because it's negative. I can't think of one on a positive side of that. If somebody thinks of one, feel free to shout it out. Um, I read a book recently after I had a, a relational meeting. This, this guy's name is um, Reverend Avery Hamilton. He's the pastor at First Baptist in Colfax. So you guys know I was born and raised in Grant Parish, and you probably, if you're from central Louisiana, you know that there is a ton of racism that still exists. There's a tension between the whites and the blacks. It's been there my whole life. I've felt it. At times, it's been palpable, um, and it, it, for a lot of my life, I lived in fear of black people because of what things I was told growing up, but as I've grown to know the Lord, I've come to see that, that those people are image bearers of God just like I am and that there is no difference with us except the, the melanin that's in our skin. That's the only difference. Um, met with Reverend, Reverend Avery Hamilton at the suggestion of, of Ben Nugent Peterson who's our organizer for Interfaith. So I went to Colfax when we got there we met at his church. He was um, visibly exhausted um, and as he began to tell his story the pages of history kind of began to unfold. He recommended that I read a book called The Day That Freedom Died, and I highly recommend it to anybody who's interested in history or understanding the racial tension that exists in the United States because it all comes back to Colfax, Louisiana, of all places. On April 13th, 1873, Easter morning, 
there was a group of white men who rode into town and murdered anywhere from 70 to 150 black men. I'll tell you why. After the Civil War, there's a time called Reconstruction. And during Reconstruction, um, black people were given full citizenship to the United States, and they were given the right to vote, several other things. They, they were, in essence, made equal citizens in the United States like the white people, okay? During that election that year, they uh, voted in a black mayor and a black sheriff and some black police jurors, and the white people didn't like that. They refused to hand over the keys of the city, the keys to the courthouse. And so the, the newly legally elected mayor and sheriff that night broke into the courthouse and took control of it. Um, that was, I believe, on Friday. And white people didn't like that. And so they formed up a big posse of all of these former Confederate soldiers with all of their military equipment. They even went and got a cannon off of a steamboat. And uh, a posse of them was riding past a man's house was working on a fence, his wife and children in the yard, and they shot him in the head for no reason. That word very quickly spread, and so all of the, the black people from that area, because remember, Colfax was plantation central in this part of Louisiana in the Red River Valley. So all the black people went to town, went to the courthouse to be protected by the new sheriff, and he had a, a group, and they had, you know, shotguns and pistols and things like that, whereas the, the white people had their rifles from the war to try to make a long story real short they killed them all nearly all a few escaped and then history was rewritten and when I grew up there was a state historical marker commemorating the Colfax riot is what it was called where they flipped the script and they said that the black people attacked the white and the white people were heroes there were three that died and they called them the heroes of the Colfax riot now, I was unaware of any of that growing up. I'd seen the historical marker, but it made, I mean, it, it made no impact on me whatsoever because I didn't know what it was referenced to. So I have this meeting with Reverend Hamilton, and I'm, I'm horrified by the things that I'm hearing. And he recommended the book, so I downloaded it on Audible. And a couple of months went by, and I'd listened to part of it and listened to part of another book describing the events that happened that led up to and the events of that day. So this week I had to go um, drive the Natchez Trace for work. And so I had three days of nothing but driving. I said, okay, I'm going to finish this book. And so I did. Um, and so I called Avery Hamilton because he did something that was incredible. He did something that it's, we see happening in our scripture. In our story, there's a group of men who have a friend who's paralyzed. And they did whatever was necessary to bring that man to Jesus for healing. And in order for that healing to happen, the truth had to come out. And what I mean by that is the Pharisees, the leaders of the, religious, of, of the Jewish religion, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, their message to the people was that if you want to be accepted by God, if you want to be forgiven by God, you have to be perfect or you have to follow these series of rituals perfectly. And only then can you be made right before God. And so the men want their friend to get to Jesus because they just want a physical healing. But Jesus gives a lot more than that. We talked about that last week. He brought spiritual healing too. Because the first thing he does, he says, I forgive you of your sins. This is the truth that was being shared in our story. The Pharisees thought they had it figured out. They thought they understood that in order to be made right for God, we have to do these things. And Jesus is telling them, you've missed the point. The way you're made right with God is by your relationship with God. The law holds no power except to point out our sin. 
And so Jesus shares the truth by forgiving this man. And on the heels of truth came healing. Reverend Avery Hamilton is the great, 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 maybe great grandson of the man who was working on his fence when he was murdered. In doing some genealogy studies, he figured that out. And through a miracle, the great, great, great grandson of the man who killed him contacted Reverend Hamilton and said, I've just discovered my family's history and I want to apologize and I want us to work together to make, to make the record straight. And so the two of these men started working together. This guy lives in Houston. I'm sorry, I can't remember his name right now. They started working together. They got the, the Colfax riot sign removed a few years ago right after COVID. And in April of this year, they raised money and put in a monument that lists the names of the men that were murdered on Easter Sunday morning in 1873 on April the 13th. And now, as a result of the truth being told, there's healing that's happening in Colfax. Whenever the, the Colfax massacre happened, it went to, uh, to court, to federal court. They tried it. The first case um, became a mistrial because the jurors could not agree. So it went before the courts again. It ended up going all the way to the Supreme Court. And they got, during the second trial, they got a guilty verdict for the people that they could capture. But then the Supreme Court overturned it. That decision ended the Reconstruction period. And it wasn't until the 1960s with the work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that civil rights became available to men and women of color. So from 1873 to 1966, we know history. We know the way they lived. So here we are in 2023, 150 years later, and the truth is finally being told. And healing is finally happening. I share that story this morning. I intended to share it because I want us to see that sometimes when I was meeting with Reverend Hamilton, he was describing, he looked so exhausted and he was saying that he is meeting so much resistance. He's not sure it's worth it anymore. Maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. And the Holy Spirit said through me, I don't, I don't even want to take credit for this. I said, just because something is hard doesn't mean it's not right. I want to share a quote with you. Anna, if you would put that up there. Um, I don't know how easy it'll be. I read this in Tozer yesterday morning. Tozer is talking about harmony in the church and, uh, and the links that people will go through to keep harmony in the church to keep people from fighting. And this is, this is Tozer's response. It says, what is the conclusion to this matter? That problems are the price of progress. That friction is the con um, concomitant, I can't say that word, of motion, meaning that they exist together. That a live and expanding church will have a certain quota of difficulties as a result of its life and activity. A spirit-filled church will invite the anger of the enemy. You cannot have motion and not have friction unless you live in a vacuum. And the last time I checked, we don't. You're welcome. Motion requires friction and friction is a result of motion. There are areas in our life, I'm not saying that God's calling us to become civil rights activists. If he is, fantastic. But I'm talking about in the everyday, nitty-gritty areas of our lives, there's going to be friction as we pursue what God has called us to be. And that friction is either going to come from the people that are standing in the way or from the roof that we have to tear out. 
But if we will be persistent, if we will pursue the things that God has called us to do, we are going to have testimony like we heard this morning. We are going to know Jesus. We are going to know that a roof cannot stand in the way. That mileage and mental disorders cannot stand in the way of what God is going to do. God wants to bring truth and healing to our lives. And he is going to do it through us. Christ in us is the hope of glory. Church, when we go through this book of of Luke, this is not about learning the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee, as interesting as that might be. The purpose of this study is to know Christ so that we can make him known. If you leave from here today with nothing else, I want you to understand this. The goal of this study is to not idly learn some new facts. The goal of this study is for us to take what we are learning here, go back to our life groups, discuss it when we're spending time with Jesus and he's calling us to do something difficult, to count the cost and say, I am willing to go through the friction so that we can have forward motion. I love that. And it's, it's shocking and it's a little bit disturbing that, that Tozer says that there is a quota of difficulty that is handed out to each church. But if you look at the New Testament church, which I'm sure we will before, before long, when we get done with Luke, we're probably going to go into Acts. We look at the New Testament church, we see a ton of what? Friction. But what comes with that friction? A lot of forward motion. You and I are here today sharing the gospel story because of the friction that the early church went through. We got to get out of our minds this American idea that when we go to church, we're going to experience a ton of harmony. That's not the case. And we are blessed in this church. There's a lot of friction that a lot of churches deal with that we don't deal with, but there's a lot of friction that we need to deal with that we haven't. And a lot of that friction is in our own hearts of determining am I going to be the man and the woman that God has called me to be? Am I going to be the disciple? Am I going to be the evangelizer that Jesus is calling me to be to share the gospel, to know him, and to make him known? What we experienced this morning is too good to keep to ourselves, church. It's too good. I, I, like, I can't tell you last time I yelled at somebody while they're giving testimony. I did it to two different people today. Because it's too good. We've got to share that stuff with people. We've got to be authentic. We've got to be real. We've got to be ourselves in front of the world. As we're walking out our faith, as we're coming to know Jesus, and he's calling us to do things that are going to be a little bit difficult Share that with people. Share the burden, but share the joy of going through that friction together and getting to see history be rewritten after 150 years. Get to see a connection that was desperately needed with both an expert and a friend be made in the same trip. Let us see us praying for something and God doing it in the moment that we're praying for it. And that being a witness to the world, to the watching world around us. I want to end with this. Verse 26. Let's go with 25. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. We have seen incredible things today. When we reveal truth and we are, make the way for healing, 
That is going to be the response. All of us this morning, when Debbie shared her testimony, when Lizzie shared her testimony, are going, whoa, we are in awe of what God is doing about how incredible He is and how loving He is. And church, if we will share those experiences outside of these four walls, if we will go to the people in our lives that we know that God has called us to, that don't have a relationship with Him, and we continue to share these kinds of stories, they will be in awe and they will glorify God. Because we know Him and we're making Him known. Let's pray. Jesus, I cannot say thank you enough for the work you've done just this morning in my own heart. Father, I ask that as we contemplate this morning the things that you have said, the testimonies that we have heard, Father, I ask that in no way could we diminish the work that you were doing. Father, I ask that this joy and this excitement that we've experienced this morning would, would give us all renewed energy to pursue you to be the friends that are tenacious enough to tear a hole in a roof if that's what is required. Jesus, I am in awe of your kindness and your goodness and how personal you are to each of us. Father, I am so thankful for the blessings that you have poured out on our body this week through your, your work, through your answered prayers. Father, I ask that as we go out this week, Father, that you would continue to just pour out those blessings, not so that we can be blessed, but so that we can share those blessings with the watching world around us, Father, so that they may look at your good deeds and be in awe and glorify you. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.